This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Good evening, everybody. How y'all doing? Hope you are sliding and gliding into the week. Doing well. Uh, we got a great show planned for you. We're going to help uh, kind of ease you a little bit, give you something to... I don't know, a little bit of a takeaway. We all like to go to a party and get a uh, gift bag, which remember when we were kids, I was thinking about this with a friend the other day, you'd go to a child's birthday party and a lot of them had, I guess I think we called them, oh, scar, excuse me. I think we called them gift bags where you kind of left the little bag and it had, I don't know, what did it have? Candy and a few other things. You can go to some events now as adults, even some weddings. They're like, take a centerpiece. Uh, I, <laughs> I like that. I want my show to be like that. I want everyone to walk away having attended it and having had fun, but also walking with a few things. So I'm going to try to send you out of here with some gems uh, in a little gift bag, but DMs always open. You got a question for us, drop them in there. Going to open the show talking about what's solvable and what's not within relationships. So we have, we have pretty good relational science. We have certain people whose work is really been so valuable in the field of relational psychology and relational science. So, so much so that we can listen to couples, not what they're arguing about, but how they manage arguments, the process, not the content. And we can determine with, I think it's the stats show about almost 96% accuracy, which ones will divorce and which ones won't, which ones will make it and which ones won't. Because there are some key factors within a relationship of any kind that really shows where they're at and where they're going to go next. Now, all that to say with some of these uh, researchers that have done what we call longitudinal studies, because there are studies where we, you know, do an assessment. It, it depends on what we're talking about, but with psychology would be more of a assessment and we'll look at them now as they are. So it's called cross-sectional and it's just looking at them at this moment in time. We don't really know what was or what's going to be. We just look at them in that one-off moment and they'll say, ah, oh, study done on men ages, blah, 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 blah. This is what they preferred. That's, that's, cross-sectional. They're just kind of dropping in, assessing something and coming back out. But then we have longitudinal studies, which is where we follow and track those participants over a period of time to look for causation, correlation, to look at changes, to get a better sense of stable traits, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We can get a lot more out of those studies. We can make more out of it. So looking at longitudinal studies, which again means that they've worked with these same individuals or couples over a period of time to get a better sense of them, to track ebbs and flows, et cetera. Uh, we've been able to realize that ready for this one, I, I, I want this to be uh, soothing, <laughs> I want this to be comforting, not the opposite. So I'm going to try to round it out that 
upwards of about 75% of the issues that couples argue about or have conflict around are not solvable. Oh yeah, you heard that right. About 75%, give or take. Standard, you know, deviance of, I don't know, plus five or 10. That whatever they're struggling with, they will always struggle with. That when we choose a relationship, we are choosing an inherent set of issues that we will always be trying to manage. We'll never change. Maybe we'll improve, maybe won't. So that's why a lot of us say, choose wisely. Choose the issues that you will take on for the rest of your life, for however long you're with this individual or individuals. Choose wisely. And there will always be a set, always. We, we do at some point just take that on. And that's why I say to some individuals that are always bouncing out of relationships when things go wrong, the minor or major infractions, right, okay, you got away from that one, but what's gonna happen next time and the time after that? At some point, we, we, we commit to a set of issues. 75% aren't solvable. But I want that to not be um, daunting or depressing. I want that to be normalizing that, all right, my relationship is... Like most relationships, there are things we have to work on. But as I always say, relationships take work, but not a lot of work. If there's a lot of work all the time and there's a lot of turmoil, you are not compatible. Not everyone can be with the person they want to be with. That is the part we need to hear that's harder to hear. Just because you're attracted to someone or you've been with them for a certain amount of time does not mean it can always work or it can work at all. Sometimes our relational histories, our nervous systems, they are not compatible. And our nervous system, I'm talking about that in terms of interpersonal neurobiology, which means all the relationships we've been in have primed us to find certain things triggering, to be able to feel safe, to be able to connect, to be able to tolerate intimacy and closeness. We, we are not always in the right place at the right time with the right person. So again, what that means is choose people where, there's, where, you can, where the issues that come up, to be with them means to deal with these issues. They're ones that you can sign off on. You're like, all right, I'll, I'll do that while also knowing that sometimes it's too much and you have to realize that I love you, it's been a great journey or we tried, but this is just gonna take more than I can really give it because we shouldn't enter relationships having our lives made miserable. I say that often. Our lives should be made better or neutral by the people we bring into our lives. A little negative at times. And I, and I really look for couples that are willing to do the work as a sign that yes, this is someone you should commit to or sign up for because they're willing to work on it. So we're gonna talk about after the break, what are the solvable versus the unsolvable and how do we work with those that are solvable? Because like I said, 75% about are not, but there's a 25% that are, and those are not the ones we want to get hung up on. So we're going to kind of break that distinction down, but powerful research. So stick around for that. We're going to talk about that when we come back from the break, but again, DMs wide open. If you've got a question for us, drop it in there. Topics you want covered or is to cover again, drop deeper into, let us know. But otherwise, we'll be back talking about uh, solvable issues versus the ones that aren't. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. Stick around, y'all. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. All right, we're back and we got that cliffhanger dun, 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 for the break. I was talking about how, you know, through relational science and research, we have these, you know, working stats that you know, give us a starting point. They give us a vision. Also help us, excuse me, avoid behaviors that really aren't going to serve us. But the point of it all in the last segment, as I was saying that, you know, we have a rough stat, give or take a few points plus and minus that about 75, 76% of couples issues are not solvable. So I was saying, don't be daunted by that. Normalize that. Say, okay, every time I meet someone for a relationship to date them, whatever it is, uh, I'm going to be choosing a set of issues that are always going to be there. Let me be thoughtful and choose wisely. And that's just how relationship is because I help people with true commitment and true relationships. I help people that are really invested learn how to create something beautiful, something healthy for both of them. But it requires both people to be committed. And in order for us to commit, we have to openly, consciously say, I'm aware of what these issues are and I, and I choose to take them on. Now, that's why we talk about relationships versus dating. Um, now, of course, there aren't such hard lines. I, I, I have to give universal working theories. They're always outliers. There's always, um, <clears throat> you know, other implications and nuances. And, you know, I got to tell you, a little moment of empathy building. You, we do our best when we're putting information out there. We can't account for everyone and everything at all times and all ways. And y'all are really good sometimes on social media finding the outliers and the exceptions. Of course, but work within the spirit of what we're saying. And if it applies, apply it. And if it doesn't leave it behind, you know what I mean? It's like, it's like a buffet, take what you want, leave what you don't. And as long as no one's harmed, don't worry about, you know, what else is there that you don't want all of that to say, we don't have to be in relationships. We do better when we're in them. It's something that should bring joy to our lives, but we have to be thoughtful about what it is we're committing to. And dating is a process of getting to know to see if we want a relationship. Yes, dating is itself a relationship. We have accountability and responsibility to this other person, even if it's casual, but I wanna use them in two different distinctions um, as though dating is looser, more casual and exploratory and relationship is what we're figuring out if we want with the person. So date. Take time to actually spend time around and with this person and others. Dating should be multitudes. We can date more than one person at one time. We're not in a relationship with anyone and going on dates is not a commitment to exclusivity, monogamy, or even anything more serious. Dating is an exploratory process to see what we're like as a couple, to see what kind of relationship have we co-created. And after some time, which is what it takes to really get a sense, is that what I'm willing to commit to? But I don't think we take any of that seriously. And so we jump right in, haven't given it enough time to really see what we're up against. And then there we are, one foot in, one foot out, and we're not sure what to do. That's a mess. So actually date for those that are single or dating. Date multiple people. Take months to get to see what it's like when you're with this person. Are we compatible? How do we manage conflict and stress? How healthy are we? 
as a, as a, as a unit. And then from that place, say, I would love to commit more exclusively, monogamously, whatever it is, and off into the sunset. Because as I was saying in the earlier segment, not everything is solvable. And every time we step into a relationship, we're taking on those unsolvables. Make sure they're ones that you are willing to step into. Now, taking it further, this amazing research that we have, it really helps us better understand what tend to be the most solvable things. These, again, there are outliers, there are exceptions, there's nuance, there's complexity, all these other factors matter. So we're talking in gross generalizations. So know that. Stay in the spirit of it. Now, based on a lot of the research, the most typical areas of solvability are around work, money, housework, and technology. Oh, we could spend an entire show on the technology one because I work with a multitude of couples where those phones and use of technology is getting in the way of connection, presence, and intimacy. Um, so where should we begin? Where should we begin? Where should we begin? Um, let's talk about technology then. Let's kind of start there. So understand that... Um, it's not necessarily, and I want you to, this is like a little learning tool. When we're in a relationship with someone, and again, the, the caveat's always that uh, I'm talking about, when I say a relationship with someone, I'm talking about ones where you want to be there and you are committed. If you're not sure if you want to be there or you're not committed or it's abusive, I'm not talking about those. Those are unhealthy, toxic relationships. I'm talking about really healthy ones. Uh, <clears throat> how we work through, discuss, and manage issues matters most. People though tend to do the opposite. They tend to think what really matters and what we need to put our energy and focus into is winning, being correct, getting our point across, or resolving this to the detriment of the relationship because the quality of the relationship is rooted in how we are approaching, discussing, and processing this topic. Our tone of voice, the word choice, our posturing, that is what I care about. I don't care about where you, how you end and resolve who does what at home. I care about how you are managing that discussion because that is where we are aiding, supporting, and building a better relationship or eating away at it and harming our relationship and our partner. So always remember that. It's not the content. It's not what you're talking about. It's how you're going about that discussion that matters for mental health and relational health. So that's that. So think about that. So we're talking about technology. The issue tends to arise when it creates a lot of disconnection and a lack of presence. Because again, remember, healthy relationships are about connection and presence. Connection, presence, reliability, responsiveness, and consistency. And when we're trying to be with our partner or connect with them or actually be in the relationship, if they're on their phone or technology, they're not with us. You cannot do both. Hear me say that again. You cannot do both. You cannot multitask. We now know neurologically that you actually lose competence when you're trying to transition from thing to thing. You should stay with one thing at a time. Finish that fully, keep your attention on it. You'll be more competent, more successful versus uh, bouncing back and forth. Well, relationships, people should always come first. So if someone walks into your office or into the home, you should put down what you're doing and attend to the human being in front of you. We all know what it feels like when we walk up to the counter at a restaurant or a store. And again, I realize that employees have a lot of things going on, so I'm, I'm trying to like take that part out of it. And we're being ignored for them to be on the computer or on a phone. It feels very disconnected and offensive. Well, even more so when it's the person that we're in a primary relationship with. And we just got home and they can't even put the game down or pause the movie or close their laptop or flip over their phone for a minute to even look at us. And I talk all the time about those transitions. Make eye contact, touch them. We gotta take a quick break. Cliffhanger, we'll be back. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris, Channel Q and Odyssey. Stick around, y'all. We keep talking about solvable problems.
All right, we're back. Sorry, we had to cut quick to a break over there. Actually, I am the break. We had to play some music. You know, I was just saying that we want to remember our relationship, aka human beings should always come first, whether it's, you know, a colleague, a friend, an employee, uh, someone we're dating. I don't want them to have to wait because you're playing a video game. I don't want people to be placed second to this email I'm sending. Get back to it. These things are not important, but people are. Bigger than that, though, is in a relationship, if you're constantly being placed second to someone's technology use, understandably, you're going to feel bad, you're going to feel disconnected, and you should. We cannot multitask. So when people say, I can hear you, no, 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 I'm still listening as they're flipping through their phone. No, they're not. No, they can't. You cannot attend to both things 100% at the same time. You can't. And I don't want people to learn to. And so I've shared with you to nauseam that I always say to people, I'll wait, because I won't be... I won't have someone use split attention and it's also offensive and I'm a person. And especially when it's someone I'm in a really important relationship with, I I'm, I'm training them to respect me. I'm having boundaries. I'm, I'm more important than whatever you're doing in your phone. You think otherwise. So I'll wait. Cause what I'm saying and I'm feeling is important at least to me. And I'm only going to express it or connect with you when I have, when I have your full attention. And I say that to everyone, uh, when I'm working with a network to the head of the network, if they pick up their phone in a meeting, I'm like, I'll wait because I don't do vertical power structures. I don't work for people. I work with people and I'm a human and I want us to humanize. And I'm using that as an example because there's really powerful moments where we're standing before a parent, someone who makes us feel intimidated, a boss. And I still want these skills to matter. I will always be prioritizing mental health and humanity over everything else, but especially with our primary partners, it hurts my heart to imagine someone coming home to their children to their roommate, to their best friend, to their family member, to their partner, and they're not even given full attention. Now I'm gonna share with you a very scary stat, and I do want y'all to be impacted by this. Where is this stat? Ah, here it is. So in a research study, this was done on couples in Los Angeles, so make whatever meaning you want to out of that. Again, we can only apply that to couples in Los Angeles. We cannot apply that to anyone outside of Los Angeles because it wasn't done on them. It matters. Were they men? Were they straight? Were they gay? Were they white? All those things matter 100%. 100%. I have to do a whole segment on how and why, but we can't apply these things universally, so that's why I'm always owning. I'm making universal gross generalizations. Nonetheless, we're not going to talk about research issues. Ready for this one? What do you think the average amount of time that partners engaged in face-to-face conversation was in the course of a week. So again, over the course of a full week, one, one full week, seven days, what was the average amount of time that partners spent engaging in face-to-face communication, which I believe is the only true intimate form of communication, is when you're making eye contact and looking at each other, which is why we say close your computer and your phone and look up at someone when you say hello, goodbye, good night, or you know, waking up in the morning. 35 minutes a week, which means we are often not fully attending to or connecting with someone, or we are making them secondary or even tertiary and third in line behind whatever else we're doing, which means a lot of those communications take place while they're scrolling, while they're in another room cooking, while they're watching television, but they're not sitting with full respect face-to-face, which is why I tell couples every day, You give eye contact and touch when they come home and when they leave, when you go to bed, when you wake up, and anytime you're having an experience together. Yes, sit on the couch together watching your movie, but that doesn't count. Every day, we should have everything turned off, sitting down, looking at each other for at least 35 minutes a day, not a week, and saying, tell me about your day. 
That is intimacy and connection, not proximity. We think because our bodies are near each other, bumping around in the home together, whatever it is, that we're building intimacy and we're working on a relationship or even in a relationship. No, you're not. That's proximity. It doesn't matter. I can sit on an airplane for six or seven hours heading to the East Coast next to someone, and I've not built intimacy with that person on the airplane. Because y'all know, if you know me at all, that when I'm on an airplane, I got the hat down, headphones on, facing a book. I am not trying to connect with these random people around me, but that's a whole other story. So all that to say is that technology is a major wedge. It's an intimacy blocker. It's an intimacy blocker. It's an intimacy buffer. It's a way of not being fully present because either we've gotten in the habit of not really having to offer full presence to someone or the other has gotten in the habit of allowing us to not be fully present. I want everyone to say things like, hey, I need you to put that down to talk to me or I'll wait until you're done. Kindly and lovingly. We're not doing it harsh. We're not weaponizing that. We're not doing it with a tone. We're kindly starting to reorient our boundaries and respect it's, it's a lesson that we're giving them, but more importantly, we're asserting and, and taking care of ourselves. It's self-care. We're asking for what we need, and relationships need that. 35 minutes a week of face-to-face time, which is true intimacy, dear God in heaven, I'm worried. I'm concerned. It's very easy for that to happen, though. I, I just came out of a multi-year long-term relationship with someone in another country, and we got more face-to-face time. Granted, we were dependent upon it, but imagine that. People actually living together got far less. <laughs> Um, that is not good. All right. We got to take a little break. Got to do some DMS. Then we're going to come back and talk a little bit about these solutions. It looks like we're not going to get through all of these tonight. So we'll return to them tomorrow. More of a cliffhanger, but these are really important points with, with very easy solutions. Cause these are the solvable things. Remember most issues in a relationship are not solvable. So it's really about how we talk about them and manage them. Which, which, where the work is, but these are solvable. So we're gonna come back and talk about that. So stick around. DM's coming up next. Got a DM, drop in the DM on our Loveline IG page. Listen to Loveline with Dr. Chris, Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be right back. All right, y'all, we are back. And now it is time to slide into those DM's. Sliding into the DM's. DMs always come from our Loveline IG page. So we've got a question or topic, drop it in there. All right. This one says, hey, Dr. Chris and Loveline. The other day, my friend called me annoyingly positive. Now, if you're going to get called anything by one of your friends, that's the thing to get called. <laughs> too positive. Too positive to an extent where it annoys us. But I get it. And it kind of stuck with me, you said. Anytime something happens, I try to see the positive in it. Like, for example, my friend said she was feeling a little depressed. My response was to pick her back up. My response was to pick herself back up and go do something to get your mind off it because nothing lasts forever. I'm the one in our group people come to to feel better, which I love. But it's but if it's annoying to be positive, then what do I do? Just agree with their sadness and let go. Uh, I appreciate the uh, care that is in you and your outlook and your intention and even your questions. So there's a lot in here. I like that you are listening to your friends share with you how you impact them. Healthy people don't say things like, that's just how I am. No, that's not. We're, we have flexibility. And a lot of quote unquote how we are is the result of bad socialization, bad training, and some trauma. 
And I don't want people to just be like, that's how I am. That is not a safe person to be in a relationship with. Healthy people are always open to hearing from those they're in relationship with socially, familially, romantically, how they're impacting them. Like I say all the time, I want couples to sit down and say, how has our relationship been the past couple months? Is there anything we need to change? What kind of partner have I been? I want people to ask themselves that all the time. Because remember, we impact everyone we're in relationship with. We do, and they impact us. And so we always do want to say, what kind of friend am I being? What kind of son am I being? What kind of you know um, lover am I being? I want us to think in those terms. Our mental health is relational health. And so the best way to assess how we're doing mentally is the quality of the relationships we're in. And if you're having chronic relational issues where you and your friends are always fighting, people are always upset with you, your mental health is not great and you need to work on it. So know that. Number two, most people, when they share how they're feeling, especially their struggles, I'm depressed, I'm sad, they often don't want solutions. And that's kind of what you're doing when you say things like, pick yourself up, go do something to get your mind off it. You're, you're actually doing what we call emotional bypassing. You're not meeting them where they at, and you're also not providing what they need. And you're bypassing that because feelings make you uncomfortable, ones that aren't positive. And you're basically saying, I can't handle anything that I deem to be negative. I can't handle sitting and sharing and listening to depression or anxiety. So just feel better. Just feel better. Here, take tissue, stop crying, go do something. That's that's dismissive. It feels very dismissive. Most people, again, I'm going to repeat this, don't want solutions when they're sharing what they're going through emotionally. They just want someone to be present. So again, when someone says, oh, I have to go see my you know best friend in the hospital. What do I say? What do I say? I say nothing. They don't need solutions. Just be present. I always quote one of the scenes from a movie I think is so beautiful, Lars and the Real Girl, where Lars loses his girlfriend. Longer story as to what that is and what that means. Those that have seen the movie are like, ah, yes, there's more to it than that. However, the women of the town say, someone said something like, well, what do we do? And the woman so beautifully said, we just sit. We just sit with him. We let him know he's not alone in this. So that's what I want you to do. Don't give solutions. Don't try to make them feel better. Sit in it with them. Just say, tell me more, listen, hold space. Uh, Toxic positivity is what it really is, which means I won't allow anyone to be around me feeling anything negative. And so I dismiss it and I shame it and I bypass and I just want them to let it go. Well, that's all that actually says a lot about you that you can't contain negative emotions. And that's probably due to how you were raised, but you need to learn to, and that's what they need from you. They don't want solutions. And when in doubt, ask them, do you want me to just sit and listen, or do you want me to help you find solutions? When in doubt, maybe at least ask that. But rarely do they want or need solutions. Most of us know what we need to do. But depression isn't something I want people to be scared of, or frustration, or loneliness, or sadness. I want us to learn how to allow it, sit with it, talk about it. Sadness isn't badness or brokenness. It doesn't need to be fixed. That's the problem in our culture. We feel sad or depressed and we're like, give me a pill. I need to feel better. I need to do something. No, that is life. We need to learn how to sit with it, how to allow it and not be afraid of it. So be a better friend and create the space for them to just be where they're at. And they're telling you they need that. And if you can't provide that, they're going to stop turning to you, at least with their feelings, if not more so beyond that. So stop being afraid of difficult emotions. Learn how to sit with them and sit with others in them. That's what they're looking for. So work on that. It'll be good for you. Um, all right, y'all. That is the DM. If you got a DM, like I said, drop in the DMs on our Loveline AG page. Past episodes over at wearechannelq.com. Stick around, y'all. We'll be back listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q in Odyssey. All right, we're back and we're talking about solvable problems. Why? Because as we're learning, well, I've already learned, but you're learning that about 
somewhere in the seven high seventies percent of issues in couples relationships. And that applies to probably a lot of our relationships outside of that, but these are done exclusively on romantic uh, partnerships that most issues are not solvable, but some of them are. And we want to really do better about just solving the ones we can so that we can be better about tackling the ones we can't and relating better as we're struggling with those things. So uh, we were talking about technology being such a major wedge. It really, really, really is. Who knew when they made cell phones and they thought, oh, we won't be tied to a landline. You can be on the phone walking around the house. Who knew where that would lead? It's been good in some ways, horrible in others. But as far as we're talking about with communication and cell phones, if someone you care about has brought up, hey, listen, um, you're always on your phone, be complimented by that. They're not saying there's something bad or wrong with you. They're saying, I want more connection. I want more presence. That's a compliment. They want more of you. They want to get to know you. They want to really be with you. Don't be offended by that. There's nothing to be defensive in that. Just apologize. Do better. This is one of those solvable issues. Don't die on this hill. Say, great. Let's sit down and talk about it. I've shared some of those ideas with you. We're going to move on to a new topic in a minute, but we're going to finish out talking about technology. I like technology where there's a phone zone. Your phone is used over there and only over there. I've done that. I used to have my phone with me everywhere. I was always on it. I don't do that anymore. My phone is plugged in in the wall over there. I have to go use it over there. And once I'm done using it over there, then I go back to what else I was doing, one thing at a time. If I'm watching a movie, I'm not also on my phone. If I need to be on my phone, I pause the movie, go over to where my phone's plugged in, look at what I need to look at, respond to what I need to respond to, and I come back to my movie and I'm not available for a few more hours. That's life, that's good, that's healthy boundaries. We wanna do that, especially for in a relationship, especially for living with someone. We want our kids to have our time, focus, and attention. We want our friends, our roommates, our family members. Because again, remember what builds a safe, secure, trusting relationship is what? We say it all the time, consistent, reliable, present, and responsive. And we're doing none of those things if our face is always down in some form of technology instead of connecting with you. Do what you need to do on your phone and then be done. Yes, you can pick up your phone at other times, comfortably sit on your couch if you want and play a game. But if another human being enters and talks to you, put it down and talk to them. Or at least frame it and say, hey, I'm in the middle of a game. Give me two minutes and I'll be right back. Bam, very respectful. But if your partner says generally, our time together, maybe it's at the end of the day, I wanna be with you and your phone's in there, talk about it. Is there a limit? I love also couples saying after 7 p.m. or 8 p.m., we're off our phones and computers and if someone sends us an email, we'll respond in the morning. You You cannot be expected by anyone to be available at all hours. We're gonna be in the bathroom, in the shower, in bed, doing something else. We can't be expected to always be reachable and most people aren't even expecting that from you. But there's gotta be a time when we're no longer available. So phones are just done at a certain time period. And then we're just relating to each other. And I think that generally the phone should be kept in one area. They're used over there. And then when we walk away, they stay there. And that's what makes it not able to just be reached for. Because I see people anxiously with any moment of downtime, pick up their phone. They're waiting in line. They grab their phone. They're at the gym between sets. They pick up their phone. We've gotten in the habit of just not being able to not have stimulus on top of stimulus on top of stimulus. Remember when we just watched a movie and that was enough? Now we also wanna be watching a movie while scrolling. We're always just adding those other layers. I see people on a date with another person having dinner one-on-one and they're on their phones. What is going on? You can't even be disconnected through the duration of that meal for an hour? What does that communicate to your partner? That's why people in that stat, 35 minutes a week of face-to-face, that is a mess. Leave your phone in the car. No one needs to reach you during dinner. Give me a freaking break. 
flip it over, stack them on the end of the table. It's ridiculous that people are on their phones while with other people. I see it. Well, I don't see it at bars because I don't go to bars, but I imagine I would. I think I used to, but I see it on dates or at restaurants with family members. Dear God in heaven, let's make that not normal. Let's say, hey, we're all going to keep our phones off and in our pockets or in our car or stacked up on the end of the table. And we're just going to be present. Yeah. Real intimacy. Yup. We're going to feel things. We're going to actually have eye contact. Imagine that we need it. Okay, so the four solvable of all the unsolvable, one of them is technology, the other is work, stress, money, and housework. So let's kind of plug through. We'll talk about stress, work stress. Uh, some people have very stressful jobs. I get it, you know, things going on, deadlines, drama. But we also wanna pay attention to the impact of that on our relationships. We need to get better with the boundaries of not letting work leak home. Work should be left at work or left should be work during work hours. Once we're off work or home from work, we should be totally disconnected from work. Only accessing those feelings and associated struggles when necessary. And when we're home, most likely it's not necessary. Yeah, some people want to process it with their partners. Sometimes it's better not to process it because there's really nothing to process. It's just us staying in it, re-experiencing, pulling them into it. Now they're maybe stressed or anxious. Not always constructive or helpful. I think it's really good for people on the way home from work at the end of the day to do something of a transition to let them know I'm now moving into another part of my identity or my life. I'm now husband, I'm now friend, or I'm off the clock. And we try to step into the newness or the empty space or the neutrality of what's to come, not bringing what just happened forward and making our night at home resemble what our day was like. What, what would it mean if we had that boundary and we left it behind? We're going to talk about that in our next segment. Stick around. Listen to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be back. All right, y'all, we're back. We're talking about the solvable within the unsolvable within relationships. We were talking earlier about technology. Now we're talking about work stress. I know we got a lot of it. I get it. Sometimes it's helpful to come home and say, hey, honey, can I share with you my day? And we problem solve or we just feel heard. Other times we're just ruminating, just spinning our wheels. And it's better to leave it behind and not talk about it. And to say, yeah, it was a really hard day. I don't want to re-experience it by talking about it and refeel it and bring it into my body. So let me neutrally say, how was your day? Or what kind of night do we want to co-create? Are we going to cook dinner, have dinner, go for a walk, watch a movie? You know, it kind of goes back to when we said, don't let a bad morning be a bad day. Don't let a bad moment turn into a bad day. After that moment or that morning, you still have this neutral rest of your day that you get to decide how it goes. Generally, don't bring that energy home to your partner. That is not good for them or your relationship. It's also not good for you, right? So bringing home that work stress can sabotage our relationship. It doesn't feel good. We have to learn how to have that boundary. Oh, that's behind me. I'll deal with it tomorrow when I get back to work or back on the clock. I want a firm separation. It's, it's, this is relational health. This is mental health. We don't want to keep bringing everything forward. You know, your partner had a day. You had a day. Let's try to create something new. Let's try to be part of that solution. So 
what should your routine be? What do you want to center when you get home? I know after my day, I want to not think about my day anymore. I want to leave my day behind. I want to go from Dr. Chris to just Chris. And I don't want to think about it. I don't want to reference it. It's done. And if there is something that I think I need to look at more or process, I'll bring it up and I'll bring it in. But I'm very thoughtful to not infect those around me with that energy. And I'm really thoughtful not infect the rest of my night with that energy if I had a bad day. Letting ourselves practice and realize that we do have flexibility. We can leave that behind. Some of us need a transition to literally actualize and go through the motions. For me, I change my clothing out of office mode into casual mode, and that really shifts my identity. We're all multiple people at all times, and I wanna be a certain person. I wanna step into that like identity. Um, but then sometimes we do wanna talk about it because our partners ideally are a source of co-regulation and stress relief, but we wanna talk about it. So we wanna you know, really get a sense of what we're bringing home, what our partner's day is, and also ask ourselves, what do I need most? To sit with this more or to sit with this less? to be distracted, to put a smile on my face. We wanna hold it loosely. Not everything requires us doing something with it. Another solvable thing is money, bum, bum, bum. Where it goes, how we spend it, who spends it, whose money. Um, but I think what was always interesting in the research around money is that a lot of times it's not even money we're talking about. Money symbolizes something else, security, power, control, and we're acting out our need to be in control because we don't feel like we are or we don't feel safe and that's the way, whatever it is, we have to figure out what is it we're really talking about or what needs are we really trying to get met through our discussion of money and how we're handling it. That's the important question. You want to ask yourself that. Go underneath it. We wanna have constructive conversations, but we can't if we haven't really talked about what it is we're talking about. So you might say something like, I never had a lot of money and now I do and I don't know how to work with it. Or I was in relationships where you know power dynamics were different. I didn't feel like I had power in that relationship and it was most expressed through my access to funds. So now it's really important for me to feel like I do have power and the way I feel that power now is to be able to spend my money. Really go deeper and be more vulnerable and say this is what it really is about. Go underneath. Don't just say it's just about money because it rarely is that objective. But that can be solvable, again, if we go underneath and we talk about it honestly. Because then your partner might realize, oh, they need to feel more cared for or more empowered or we need to talk about a budget or whatever it is. But we can't really solve things if we don't know what the real need is. And we tend, we tend to stay very much on the, top, on the, uh, on the topic, on the uh, surface. So that's where, like, again, we're, we're also paying attention to how is this impacting my relationship? Because again, remember, it's not just about we need to figure out money, we need to figure it out now. We also need to be tracking, how is this landing on my partner, the way we're talking about this, what we're talking about? How is this impacting my relationship? We need to be having an eye on both at all times. And we back off or we back down when we see that it's upsetting our partner or our relationship, because that matters too. That matters more than being right, getting it done, figuring it out, or whatever that is. And then finally, we land in the fourth one, which is housework. Bum, bum, bum. We've all had a day, and we all have to look at what we have resources for, what kind of energy we have left, because everyone starts the day with a certain amount of energy or lack thereof. Expectations can't be the same on everyone. And so housework has to be an honest conversation around who has the time and the energy. Where is our time and energy going? But also talking about power. We're in a healthy relationship. It's mutual. Everyone has the same power. Everyone's needs have the same weight. It doesn't matter your gender. It doesn't matter how much money you make. We're talking about people and relationship. And so everyone should have the same amount of power. It doesn't matter who earns what or how, who earns more. 
That is ego, that is classism, that is control, that is relational abuse. I don't care. If one person makes six figures and the other makes a dollar, they both get equal power in that relationship because that's mental health, that's relational health, that's empathy, that's care. And they both get to decide what happens with money in their relationship. These are things we have to talk about and negotiate. We take a little break and then we're gonna come back and kind of finish this out. But if you got a DM for us, any questions you have, drop them in the DMs on our Loveline IG page, topics you want us to cover, things you want us to circle back to, bam, 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 put them in there as well. And as always, you can check out past episodes to binge, post, share, re-listen over at wearechannelq.com. Scroll down, look for the name of the show and click on it. There they all are. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We will be right back, so stick around. All right, y'all, we're back and we're just closing out our segment on uh, solvable issues because open the show by saying most issues that couples fight about aren't solvable. That is who they are. That is what comes up when these two people come together. And the work and focus shouldn't be on resolving because those things might not be able to be resolved. It's about let's manage it well because this will always be here. Let's manage it from a place where I'm realizing I'm talking to someone I care about and someone who I want to feel safe and close to me. And so I prioritize that and I stop when we need to stop. We take breaks when we're getting out of hand. I stay calm. My posture, my language, my expressions, my tone all sound like it's coming from someone who cares about someone else. And that's where you focus, how you're managing it, because you're going to be managing this for the rest of your lives at times. Some couples, I'll say to them, this issue isn't getting solved. We have to get better at how we talk about it and how we manage it when it comes up. Don't think we're going to resolve this because sometimes it's topics where they have completely different stances. And it's always going to be a ball that's kept in the air, but we don't want to run our relationship or our mental health into the ground in doing so. And we've been kind of talking about the solvable ones, things like technology use. That's solvable. Someone you care says to you, the way we manage technology or the way you do makes me feel disconnected or not important or gets in the way of our relationship. Hear them. That's, a, that's also a compliment. Like, that's about relationship. And if your relationship doesn't matter, well, then get out, leave. If your partner's needs don't matter, you get out and leave. Like, don't ever, if you find yourself in a place where you're like, I don't care about my relationship, I don't care about my partner's feelings, leave. <laughs> Do them and yourself a gift and leave or learn how to start caring again. But the things that we can resolve are technology, work stress, money, in theory. Not every couple is going to be able to resolve these things. They might always be managing and working on it, but in theory. And um, we're kind of ending it on housework, the fourth, which means we have to look at it fairly. But when I say fairly, I mean, we're not looking in terms of who makes more, who makes what. Fairly means everyone feels cared for and taken care of. Fair means more equity, where everyone's getting what they need and we're really listening. Um, have a conversation about what needs to be done. Have a conversation about who would prefer to do what. There are some things that maybe people are really great at or prefer to do. Great, let them do that. But everyone should weigh in on what gets done, who does it, and you have to commit to that. Create a list, separate it out. There's, there's like worksheets for this. But again, we want our partner to feel cared for and our relationship to be attended to in the process. All those things matter. We don't wanna sell them out and say, it just matters as, as long as we resolve this issue. And I see some couples do that. They're trying to win, they're trying to be correct, they're trying to convince you a partner of otherwise, and it's like, you're missing the whole point. The point isn't the topic, it's the impact we're having on each other as we're talking about the topic. Always keep an eye on that. 
Healthy people are always paying attention to how they're impacting their partner as they're talking or doing things. That's where care and compassion comes in, but that's also where trust is built. So make sure you're not just burning your relationship down or harming each other while you're working through these things. Some of these topics we come back to over and over because we get too dysregulated. We have to put a pause on it or wait until we're in a better space. Be willing to do that. Be willing to go to bed angry because it's better than battling this out and things getting worse. It's also we have to learn how to shelve things. Honey, I love you. That was really hard to talk about. I want to give you a kiss goodnight and we'll, we'll pick it up again tomorrow. Healthy couples have that flexibility. I can love you while hating you. I can love you while still being frustrated with you. I was loving you a minute ago and then I got frustrated. The person I loved a minute before I got frustrated is still you. And we have to be able to do both. That is a healthy skill. Love you, sleep well, see you in the morning, have beautiful dreams. And um, we're going to get back to talking about this rough topic tomorrow night. And for those that shelve things, you always have to say when you're willing to come back, because we're not trying to just never come back. And that happens sometimes. So you're allowed to say it's getting out of hand. Let's come back to this tomorrow. Or let's come back to it in 20 minutes. But you have to come back to it. We can't just not circle back. But you want to have that care and that flexibility. But that requires us regulating ourselves. That requires trusting that we will come back to it. But we have to center the relationship, whatever the relationship is, whether we're talking about two adults or a child and an adult. Because even with a child, don't just assert that dominance over them and say, do this. The quality of your relationship matters too. Make that matter more than just making sure they clean their room. While you're trying to make that happen, also be tracking what kind of relationship am I creating or working on in the way I'm approaching this topic. Connect, then correct. Don't just be correcting, correcting, correcting. Then you can't act surprised why your child doesn't feel safe with you or, or find you approachable. Connect first. So that's a tool for adults as well. Connect before you criticize. Connect before you correct. Always prioritize that connection so that we feel safe. Always enter and begin with safety. So if you have, a, you have to have a hard conversation with your partner about tech use or, or money, connect first. Hey, honey, how was your day? I want to talk to you. Grab their hands and give them a kiss. This might be a really hard conversation. I know it's hard for me, but I love you. How was your day? We connect a little bit. All right, great. Now let's talk a little bit about money. How you enter gives you a better chance of knowing how it will go. If you enter at a 10, it's going to be a 10 plus. If you enter soft, like a two or a three or a four, if it escalates, there's still room to stay in a safe zone if we start low. So come in soft, start soft, but connect first, then correct. Connect first, then complain. Connect first, then make a criticism about how you guys are doing, right? It's that loving thing to do. Okay, gonna take a break. Coming up next, we're gonna be sliding into those DMs. So if you've got a question for us, bam, drop them in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. Like I said, past episodes over at wearechannelq.com. So uh, stick around, more to come. We'll be right back. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and on Odyssey. We'll be back. All right, y'all, we are back, and uh, it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. All right, this one's an interesting one. It says, hey, Dr. Chris, do you have any cool tips or tricks to make a dating profile better? What questions to use? Which pictures are hotter than others? Those kinds of things. Yep, I think this is a great question. Uh, There's a lot I have to say on this. I'll start broad, then I'll get a little more specific. Um, You have to remember, you are trying to court someone, and yes, that does mean we want to lead with our better parts, but they have to actually be our parts. So don't sell a dream. Don't falsely represent yourself. 
because at some point the real you needs to get known and will be seen and you don't want to misrepresent. It's just not fair. It's not going to go well, but it's also just not kind. So again, you want to share your best parts, but that make sure they're your parts, but you also want to share who you honestly are, whether good, bad, or whatever it is, because again, we're assessing compatibility. Rough example, please, you know, I always say this, maybe there's so much personal stuff in this, but for instance, if you're a big partier, I'd, if I was single and I saw your profile, I'd want to know. And I'd want to know because I don't go to bars, clubs, and I don't drink. And I'm a daytime guy and the things I like to do aren't associated with drinking and partying and crowds. So I'd want to know that we're not really socially compatible. So I'd be thankful if you put a lot of pictures that honestly demonstrated who you are socially. Here's the deal. You know, compatibility is about physicality, which is attractive attraction. Then there's the emotional psychological, like, do I, would I like this person? Would I want to sit with them and talk? Would I want to build a life with them? Would I want to travel with them? So that's the psychological and emotional. Do we want the same levels of closeness is in there? Do we have the same ethics and politics is in there? But then there's also social compatibility. If you're a drinker and I don't, that's a problem. If, if you're a night owl and I'm not, that's a problem. If every holiday means you out drinking at a party, that's a problem. You know, and, and for the opposite as well for you would be a problem if, if you're, you know, a partier and you stay up late and this other person gets up at 5 a.m., goes for a gym, to the gym and a hike and then likes to go for coffee and, sh- you know, so I want people to lead with who they are so they can be known. We're not trying to be liked. We're trying to be known. And that's the flaw. People just want to be liked. So they misrepresent. And then relationships are a nightmare because it's two people that don't have compatibility trying to make it work because they think each other's really hot. That is a flaw. So know that put your, make your profile such that people can get to know you and it'll also work for you. My example was really about distance and working against you in some way, but working for you means, you know, for instance, if I was single and on a profile, I'd want to say I'm a morning person and I like museums and concerts and I would really share who I am so that the people looking for someone like me are like, Oh my God, there, finally I found him. There he is. He likes books. He likes galleries. He likes shows. So you want to be honest with who you are. It will serve you. It'll weed out the people you're not compatible with. It will save you time. And it will also help you link with the right people. So yeah, be honest. We're not selling a dream. We're trying to leave with who we are. Also, this is a general tip for everyone. And y'all can fight me on this one, but we all get hung up in our ego. Someone's height and weight, things like that don't matter. They don't matter. They shouldn't even be on the profile. If you look at my face and you think I'm attractive, then you should only be wondering next about if we're socially or emotionally compatible. My height, my weight, how much money I make, those things don't matter. That's your ego. Because someone's height has no impact on anything when we're having sex, has no impact on anything when we're out to dinner, has no impact on anything when we're walking our dog, has no impact on impact on anything when I'm there for you as a support and we're struggling in life. But we get obsessed about these searchable qualities and that's what the apps only allow us to have access to. So know that if you're really looking for a relationship, you are, have a wide net. You are not obsessed with how local you are. I'm not obsessed with their height. You just want someone you're compatible with. So you're interested in if I see their face and I'm attracted, I move forward. And then I try to find out psychologically, emotionally, I'd actually want to sit at a dinner table with you. If I'd actually want to wake up in bed with you, if I've, I'd actually want to be in a supermarket shopping with you. And then we assess sex, uh, social compatibility and then we commit and we go. So don't get hung up on these stupid factors that don't matter.
And that's what a lot of people get hung up on. They need to be six foot. All right, well, 20% of the population is over six foot. So in a room of 100 people, 80 were now just ruled out. So now we're down to 20. And if they have to also be a certain weight, what percentage of that 20% is of that weight? Now we're down to 10%. So now we're down to 10 people out of 100. How much money do they need to make? A certain age bracket, a certain bracket? Now maybe we're down to three or four out of 100. And uh, hope that they're not all jerks. You know what I mean? We keep narrowing it down and narrowing it down with these useless qualities. So let that go. But we got to wrap up, y'all. That's the end of the show. We will be back tomorrow. So join us then. As always, y'all, thanks for hanging out and enjoy the rest of your night. Loveline with Dr. Chris Donahue on Channel Q. Are you in a relationship where sharing a bed and getting good sleep is getting in the way of feeling good about your partner and waking up rested? We're going to talk about how to share a bed in a way that's good for our mental health and, of course, answering all your sex, love, and relationship questions. We'll see you next Loveline. Loveline. Listen live Monday through Thursday, 6 to 8 Pacific, 9 to 11 Eastern on Channel Q or on your own time with the Loveline podcast on the Odyssey app. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the name your price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. 
Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.